Good to be here, guys. I'm glad to be here with you. And I want to start with a question. I know it's late in the day, so and you've maybe had class and your heads are tired. But question I want you to really think about is there at the top of your of your notes is what defines you as a person? Take just a moment and jot down a couple of things. How would you answer this question? Maybe a word or two or a short phrase, but if you were asked, and I'm asking you right now, what defines you as a person? Just write down a couple of thoughts. All right, looks like everybody's got at least something written down. How many of you, that was the easiest question you had to answer today? Okay, all right. Well, I'm glad you could end the day that way. Anybody, this was the hardest question you had to answer? Okay, a couple of you. Thank you for your honesty. Um, For me, there are many possible ways that I could answer this question. What defines me as a person? I am the executive pastor at Hope Church. As Cody mentioned, I have the business card to prove it. Okay, so I'm an executive pastor. I'm also a podcaster. I, uh, I'm a graduate of Biola University. Here's a picture of me and my wife. We were not married yet. This was all the way back in 2001. I have a business degree from Biola University. The next picture is a picture of me with my Master of Divinity degree. That was much more recent, as you can see by the picture. I am a husband to Jessica. Here's a picture of us on our wedding day. We were married on January 4th, 2002. Uh, I am also a father to Kenzie and Kai. This is one of, this is the most recent professional picture that we have. This was taken uh, last month. Kenzie's about two and a half and Kai is 13 months old. And uh, I've got another uh, picture here for you. I think of them. This is us as a family. This was back in the fall. Thank you. That's, keep, keep those coming. Um, and uh, this was back in the fall, so everyone's a little bit younger. But then this next picture was taken uh, just a few days ago on my birthday. I had the big 4-0 on September 2nd. So this is the most recent family photo that we have. A few other things that I could say that define me uh, or ways that I would answer that is I'm the son to Harold and Debbie Sturdivant. My parents, they live in Southern California where I grew up. Uh, I am the oldest brother to James and Laura. I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. I'm an American citizen, and I would like to think of myself as a good person, as a good man. That's just sort of the beginning of how I could answer that question of what defines me. Perhaps you wrote down some things similar to what I shared with you. But why does this question matter? I mean, what's the big deal? Why, why are we even considering this question? And it matters because who we are, how we view ourselves, that determines what we do. The way that you view yourself determines what you do. In fact, because I am a husband and a father and a pastor, that gives me sort of a clear sense on what I should be doing with my days, with my time. So here's an example for you. I'm a father of two small children. You got to, you got to see them just a moment ago. And uh, I change a lot of diapers, guys. We got two kids in diapers. There's a lot of diapers to change. Most of you, if you discover that there's a dirty diaper in the proximity of you, you go the other way. You don't change it. I know because I used to do that. 
But then all of a sudden you discover they're your kids and everyone's looking at you like, why don't you change that diaper? So that's something that I do because of who I am. Another thing is uh, I don't take unnecessary risks because I have a wife and two small children who need me. I'm not opposed to skydiving, but I'm just not going to do it anytime soon. (laughs) I miss that window, or maybe I'll do it later when they're grown up. So how we view ourselves or how I view myself gives me a, a certain amount of purpose and direction in my life. You see, most of the answers that we used, the answers that you wrote down, perhaps they are accurate to the question, but they're often just superficial. They're accurate, but only superficial. And and we know this because when one of those things that we use as an identifier is challenged or threatened or changed, then we can begin to redefine ourselves or try to figure out again, who am I? Because something that I based my identity on now has changed or doesn't exist. So here's an example for you. I said I like to think of myself as a good man. What if somebody doesn't like me right now? And they're, they're really mad at me for some reason. And maybe it's something that I did out of love and kindness for them, actually really trying to help them, but they don't like me right now. They're mad at me. And if I'm trying to have everyone like me in the moment, I'm getting my identity because everyone's coming around giving me a high five and telling me how wonderful I am. And now all of a sudden, somebody's mad at me. Well, that's going to have an impact on my identity. Or... I'm a pastor at a church in Fort Worth, Texas. I've been doing this for 12 and a half years. What if I'm suddenly not a pastor at Hope Church anymore? What do I do? That, that has been part of how I define myself to an extent. But what if I have to find another job? Prior to being called into the ministry, I worked in business. I worked for two different companies about two years. Each time I left a company for a different reason, and then I was in that, you know, between jobs time period. Somebody says, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm between jobs right now. You guys are students right now. Hopefully, some of you hope to graduate someday, right? Anybody hope to graduate? Okay, good. Anybody graduating in December? A couple? All right, how about May? All right, how about how many of you just started this journey called college? All right. Well, when you graduate someday, you're going to be looking for a job. And if you don't have a job the day after you graduate, people are going to say, what are you going to do? And you say, I'm between jobs, right? (laughs) Well, what about marriage? Marriage can have a huge impact on who we are. In fact, this coming January, my wife and I are going to celebrate 17 years of marriage. And I hate to think what life would be like if somehow I lost my marriage. If something happened to my wife or whatever the circumstances are, I, I can't even imagine life without her in it and a part of it. That we met in college, we've known each other for over 21 years. And we have been a couple as dating and then married for over 20 years now. A lot of who I am, she has been a part of that. And because we got married right after college, we like to say we got to grow up together, right? So, so marriage has a, has a huge impact on my life. So what defines you as a person? And this is a question that everyone needs to ask, especially as you move forward in life. 
And you know, the thing that defines us is that it's more than what we do for a living. It's more than a relationship that we have. What we actually need to do is we need to anchor ourselves. We need to anchor our identity on something greater. Because the truth is, is that we're far more than what we do. We are not what we own. We're not what anyone thinks of us. We're not what our GPA is or our last exam score. We're not who we're dating or who we're not dating. We're not who we're married to or who we're not married to. But as long as we keep pointing to something in this world to anchor our identity on, answer that big question of, who am I? What's life all about? We're going to be on shaky ground if we're just pointing to something of this world. Because those things of this world can so easily be dislodged. And then what happens when something happens to the thing that we've been basing our identity on? So why do we need something or someone outside of ourselves, outside of this world, to base our identity on? Why? The answer actually goes back to the way that our image and our identity was formed. We all want value. That's something that we all want. And in fact, this this want and need for value is actually linked to the way God made us and some basic human needs that we have. There's two basic human needs that everyone has, security and significance. Security is the need to be loved and accepted. Anybody here not want to be loved or accepted? No, we all want that. In fact, sometimes you want to be loved by a very specific person who maybe doesn't even know you exist right now, right? But we all want that. We all want to be loved and accepted, and that's security. But we also want significance. We want to have meaning. We want to have value. We want significance. And the degree to which we experience the security and the significance is the degree to which we feel like we have worth, like our life has meaning and purpose. We all long for this security and for the significance, and we're looking for it. We're trying to find it somewhere and in something. And the truth is, here's the truth, guys. The truth is that God is the only one who can provide the meaning and the significance and meet the deepest needs that we have. He's the only one. In fact, God is our creator, and he actually knows how we tick. He knows everything about us. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I don't know the conditions by which you were conceived. I don't know the conditions by which you were born into or the type of family that you grew up in. But here's what I know, is that God loves you. God fearfully and wonderfully made you. And regardless of if your parents had a plan for you and knew you were coming, And regardless of what kind of family environment that you grew up in, God knew all that. He knew it. He knows it. He has a purpose in it. And he has a purpose for you for the rest of your days that you have on this planet. You see, God, he created us because he loves us. He created us because he wants to have a relationship with us. 
Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So you see, at our core, at our very core, what we are is we are an image. And we are an image of our creator. And here's the thing, that an image by very definition points back to and reflects some other object. So we are an image of God, the creator of the universe. He's the original object that we reflect and we point back to him. Now, oftentimes you can read that verse that I just read to you, Genesis 1:27, and all you take from it is, oh, we were created in God's image. And that's really important because it answers the question, where do we come from? We didn't come from some ooze that turned into a monkey and then somehow it turned into a human. That's not where we came from. God actually created us. But not only did he create us, he created us in his image. And that's huge. No other animal on the face of this planet was created in God's image. Humans are the only one that were created in God's image. And that in and of itself, the fact that we were created in the image of the creator That gives us meaning. That gives us value. That gives us significance. Because the creator of the universe created us, and he created us in his image. You see, life itself, it's a gift because God made us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. And this, this thing about being an image and being made in the image of God, it's, it's kind of hard to understand. It's kind of hard to grasp. And I want to share an illustration with you that, that was really helpful to me several years ago when I was trying to get my, my head around this. What does it mean to be in the image of God? You see, images reflect something. So at our core, we are secondary beings. God is the primary being, and we are the secondary being. So to to illustrate this, I want you to think about a shadow, right? We got a picture of a shadow up here, and there's even kind of over here in this corner, you can kind of see a shadow, all right? So I got another picture here. This is a picture of me and a picture of my shadow on the ground. By the way, it was, it was kind of humorous the day that I brought my assistant, and I said, can you come out to the parking lot with me and take a few pictures? She was like, okay, what are you doing? I'm like, it's for a talk. It's okay. So this is me and my shadow, and the next picture is just a picture of my shadow. You can see it's the outline of me. I'm the primary, but my shadow is secondary, and you know that I'm the primary, and my shadow is secondary because as I move, my shadow moves. So the next picture here, I'm, I'm waving, and my shadow is waving at you. By the way, if my shadow starts moving independent of me, there's a problem with one of us, so let's, let's figure that out, Okay. <laughs> I'm the primary, my shadow is secondary. It's attached to me. Both of us are real, but the shadow's dependent upon me. And the shadow wouldn't exist without me. It doesn't have the power to exist. My shadow can't move without me. So we're like a shadow of God. God is the original image, and we are a reflection of him. We are made in his image. The the person that we are, We're like a shadow of God. But see, he's primary and we're secondary. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but did you know that we don't need our shadow? I mean, our shadow doesn't add any value 
to our life. You know, cloudy days, you can't really see your shadow, right? And you don't know, you know, well, I don't have a shadow today. I'm kind of having a down day, right? No, the shadow doesn't add any value to your life. It's just, it's there, it's secondary. By the way, when your kids discover their shadow, that's a pretty fun and amusing thing when they discover it, but they don't need their shadow either. In fact, did you know God does not need us? He does not need us. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us, but he doesn't need us. However, we need him because we're the shadow. We're the reflection of him. We desperately need him. And that's why we can't declare our own value or our own worth. We've got to point to something or someone else. Shadows always point to the image that they are the shadow of. And and when we don't stay inside the outline of God, we've got to find something else. We've got to find something big enough to point to so that we can be its shadow. For us, we're just the image bearers. And our real value comes from what we stand in the shadow of. And it's supposed to be God. Since we're in God's image, we're supposed to be standing in the shadow of God. But any sense of worth or value that we attach to something other than God, it's only temporary and it's ultimately going to be false. See, you guys, you're in college right now, and, and, and two of the, 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 the major things going on in life, I know because I've been there, they're relationships and your studies. It's just two things you got to deal with. And, and if you're basing your, your value and your worth on who likes you or doesn't like you right now or how you did on your last exam, that's just a temporary thing. And then when you, when you move on to, to the next stage of life, you're, you're going to deal with your career, you're going to deal with your marriage, then you're going to deal with kids. And let me tell you, as a father of two young children, I'm so glad that I don't find my value and my worth and how great of a parent I am. Because it can be pretty depressing at times. My daughter, she's two and a half years old, and she is in the the height of exercising her carnal will as a human being. In fact, her favorite phrase, or at least her most frequently used phrase, is, no, I do it. She wants to do everything herself. No, I do it. And, and some days are wonderful and amazing. In fact, the other day, and this was in the morning, I had, I had gotten up early with her, and we were out in this little play area that we have, and she, she comes up on the couch next to me, and she looks at me, and she says, Daddy, I love you. You're my best friend. I mean, does that not just melt your heart, right? And then just not too much longer later, it was, No! I mean, it's like there's, there's Jekyll and Hyde. There's really, there's really good moments. And then there's some really bad moments. So I would be crazy right now if I was basing my value on how good my parenting was or how well my child was obeying in the moment. And it's kind of like me trying to stand in the shadow of this music stand. It's just not going to work, right? This is not big enough for me to stand in the shadow of it. And all the other things that we try to find value and worth in are not big enough because they're not God. So how do we find real value? How do we find real worth? 
And what's the deal? Why are we not in God's shadow anymore, right? If we were made in his image, why are we not in his shadow anymore? And to understand that, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, to the very beginning. You look in the Bible and you read in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we find that God created this world and everything in it, and he created the first man and woman, and they were perfect. Everything that God created was perfect. But guess what? We humans messed it up. We blew it because we stepped outside of God's will. We did what he said not to do, which is rebellion. We rebelled against God, and because of that, sin entered this world. And then from that moment forward, everyone else, including every single one of us in this room, we were all born into this world as sinners, and we sin by choice. It's our nature. It's what we do. See, the world and everything was perfect, and then sin messed it up. And you all have experienced problems in life. You know that. You know what I'm talking about. So we think because of this sin and this separation from God, we think we can find security and significance in all kinds of other things apart from God. So that's what we spend our days trying to do is finding the security and the significance apart from him. We keep on rebelling against him. Basically, what we do is we say to God, the one that we are the image of, I don't need you. It's like the two-year-old saying, no, I do. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to find my own security, my own significance. And again, God is the primary. We, the shadow, are the secondary. It's, it's kind of like... If you, you can't see my shadow very well, but the, some of you can see this shadow over here in the corner. If my shadow was to say to me, Matt, I don't need you. I would say, okay, shadow, I'm going to move right now, and you can stay there if you want to, if you can. Okay, ready? I'm going to move. Uh-oh. <laughs> my shadow doesn't do very good to, dependent or away from me, does it? No, it's dependent on me. It's not independent. So that's what we do. Because of our sin, our self-image has shifted. We've stepped out from God's presence, and the shadow, us, no longer is in the shadow of our creator. And we try to find this significance, this meaning. We just keep beating ourselves up. We try, but we can't. We try, but we can't. But there's good news. There is good news. And the good news is that despite our rebellion, despite wanting to be, find security in ourselves, despite wanting to do things our own way, God loves us. He's made a way for us to come back to him. The problem, though, is this, is that we can't simply say, okay, I'm sorry. I'm ready to reattach my shadow back to the original image. Because the problem is, is because of this sin, the, the moral outline of our lives has actually changed and shifted. You see, we no longer bear the exact image of our creator because sin has twisted things. Sin has changed things. Our shadow no longer looks like God. That's what happened because of the fall and because of sin. So because our moral outline, our character, our shadow doesn't represent God's anymore accurately. We, we can't just step back into it. It's not something that we can do on our own. But God provided a way. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a man as a human to be the perfect human, a perfect human that both bears God's perfect outline 
And he is, he is God in the flesh. That's why Jesus had to come. It's the only, Jesus is the only perfect human after Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were perfect when they were created, and then they became imperfect because they sinned against God. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus never sinned. Jesus' perfection is what enables us to connect our shadow back to God, who we are the image of. Basically, Jesus becomes like an eclipse. You guys remember the eclipse that happened not too long ago? So here's what happened. If I take my keys, these are my keys. You can sort of see the shadow of my keys out here. But if I take my keys and I put them in my fist, you don't see my keys anymore, do you? You see my fist. The keys are there. The keys are there. But this, my fist is the outline. When the Bible talks about us being in Christ, it's like this. The keys are us in all of our imperfection and all of our sin. But when we stand in Christ, God sees Christ's perfection. God sees the work that Jesus did on the cross, and he sees that. He doesn't see this. So that's what it means to stand in Christ. The moral shape of our lives is, in a sense, hidden behind Jesus, and God sees his perfection in what he did, not us in our sin. So Jesus has made a way. That's why Jesus is called the way. He is the way that we can come back to God the Father. And, and it's only in him that we can find our true identity and our true purpose. When you decide to follow Jesus, life takes on a whole new meaning. When you discover your identity in Jesus, all of life is changed. Now, what I want to do in, the, in just in the last few moments here is I briefly want to share eight truths about my identity. Okay, and I'm personalizing this because it's my identity, but we're also talking about your identity. So eight truths about my identity. The first one is that I am loved far more than I can ever know or understand. That's the first truth about my identity. In Ephesians, the first chapter, we see that even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be is his through our union with Christ because of his love. And then John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you want a one sentence summary of the whole message of the Bible, that's it right there, John 3, 16. We messed it up, but God provided a way for the mess to be cleaned up and for our shadow to once again be reattached to him. Now, I want to be brutally honest with you guys here. I showed you some pictures of my kids earlier, and I cannot, here's a picture of me and my son. I cannot even imagine what it would be like to give my son's life for anyone. I would, I would give my life for his or my wife or my daughter in a heartbeat, but not for someone else. I would not give his life for someone else. I'm sure you guys are all really great. I know some of you. I'm not giving his life for any of you. It's just not going to happen. But that's what God did. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves the rest of the students on this university and the rest of people in Chico. That's how much God loves us. He gave his own son as a sacrifice so that we could be reunited to him. In fact, there's another John 3.16, and that's 1 John 3.16. 
And it says that we know what love is because Christ laid down his life for us. That's the very definition of love. So the first one is that I'm loved far more than I can ever know or understand. Truth number two is that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's an interesting word there, all. That doesn't mean some or a few. All means all. It all means every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 starts out and says, For the wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned. We all deserve death, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. Truth number three is that I have been redeemed at a great price. What does it mean to be redeemed? If, if, if you're redeemed, if something is redeemed, is that the necessary price has been paid. And God paid that price with the life of his own son. So Romans 6.23 says the price was death, but Jesus died that death that each and every one of us should be dying. He paid it for us. We've been redeemed. And then the fourth truth is that I have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Every single one of us has a choice to make. And our choice has two basic options. The first option is that we just try to change the moral shape of our life all on our own. We try to be good enough. We try to be smart enough. We try to do all of it. That's the first choice. Or the second choice, uh, the second option rather, is that we can stand in Christ. Even though we're imperfect, even though we've sinned, we can stand in Christ and let his shadow be acceptable and cover us. And he was able to die for us. Those Those are the two options we have, this choice that each and every one of us can make. Remember, we're the shadows. What do we want to attach ourselves to? Do we want to attach ourselves to something in this world and try? Or do we want to attach ourselves back to the God that gave us life, the one that made us in his image and where true happiness will be found? If you decide to follow Christ, there's two parts to it. Maybe, maybe you've heard about Jesus, it t- talked about that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. What does that mean? Well, Savior means that you decide to stand in his shadow. Like, remember the keys in my fist. You decide to stand there behind him and say that there's no hope for me apart from Christ. And I'm going to stand in him so that when God looks at me, he sees the moral outline of Christ and he sees what Christ did for me on the cross. That the only defense we have is Jesus Christ. That's what it means for him to be our savior. But then there's the other part of it, and that's Lord. And that means you decide not to just stand in him, but you decide to walk with him. You decide to let him dictate your steps on a daily basis. You're asking yourself the question of, as I'm about to make this choice, or I'm about to do this thing, what does Jesus think about that? I want to live my life walking with him. And none of us is perfect. We're all going to mess up. But best we know how in the moment, we do it in a way that would please Jesus and would bring him honor. Sometimes that means thinking about What am I looking at right now on the internet? How have I just spoken to my roommate or my mom or my brother or sister? What about that quick glance that I took over at somebody's paper when we were taking a test that I didn't study for? 
Are the things that I'm doing or about to do, is that something that Jesus would come up and give me a high five and say, way to go, Matt? Or he would look at me and say, Matt, you can rise above that. I died for you and you can be forgiven, but that's not the best life to live. So those, those are the options that we have. Now, these first four truths that I gave you, these are true for everyone. I'm loved, I'm a sinner, I've been redeemed, and I have a choice. This is true about every single one of us on the face of this planet. I want to share four more quick truths with you that are true for followers of Jesus Christ. And, and I've given you the verses there. In fact, all of the eight of these truths could be individual messages on their own. And I'm just quickly giving you the summary. And I hope if you have questions about different aspects of these, that you'll do some study on your own, that you'll get your questions answered. But these next four that I want to share quickly are true for followers of Jesus Christ. So the f- number five is I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Therefore, anyone is, who's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, we sort of get a do-over. It, it's not a complete do-over because there are consequences for our actions. There, there are things that we have done in our life that we are going to pay the price for. There's consequences we can't get away from. But what that means is, is we don't have to keep moving forward the way we have been. From this moment forward, from the moment that you decide to become a follower of Christ, you can move forward in a new direction. You're no longer anchoring yourself on the things that you once were, the relationships, what people think about you, your grades, what your parents think. Whatever it was that was so important that you were trying to find your identity in, that's gone. That's over. You're a new creation in Christ, and you can move forward with him. You see, the Christian life is not the perfect life. I'll be the first one to tell you, it is not the perfect life. Being a follower of Christ does not mean you don't have any more problems. What it means, though, is you have the resources to get through the problems that you have. Number six is I belong to a new family. Again, I mentioned earlier, I don't know what kind of family you grew up in and what your home situation was like. You may have come from the best, most wonderful family, or you may have come from a very difficult situation. But as you become a follower of Christ, you join a new family. In fact, uh, Galatians 4, 6, and 7, uh, this word that's used, I think we have, yeah, we have there on the screen, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The, the image here is, is that we get to call Jesus or God, Daddy. Maybe you had a daddy that you would run up to and, and just throw your arms around, or maybe you didn't have that, but that's the kind of relationship that we get to have with God. We're part of a new family. Our fellow Christians, fellow believers, we're a part of this new family. Number seven is I have a role to play. I've got a role to play. Each and every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ is so because what? Because someone shared Christ with them. They told you about Christ, what he did, and what it means for our lives. So we who are followers of Jesus, we have the great privilege. We have the great opportunity to tell others about this new life, about this new family, about this new identity, about the freedom that we have experienced in Christ. That's our privilege. 
That's what we do as followers of Christ. We have a role to play. But beyond that, God gives us unique gifts and talents and abilities. Every person who is a follower of Christ gets at least one spiritual gift. Over time, your spiritual gifts can grow. And these are ways that you can contribute to the church. You can contribute to the ministry. But beyond our spiritual gifts, there's actually skills that you have. There isn't anything particularly uh, spiritual about the guys that are back there serving us right now with the, the slides and the sound, but we get to have a great time tonight because of what they're doing. They've got skills and ability in that area. You guys have skills and abilities that you can use to have a part to play in the kingdom and in the ministry here at Challenge. And the very last one, number eight, my life has tremendous meaning, value, and purpose. So who do you think you are? Who do you want to be? If you have never done so, I want to invite you to make the life-changing choice. Decide to follow Jesus Christ. Decide to make him your Savior and your Lord. Decide to reattach your shadow back to the Creator in Christ. Choose to make him your Lord and your Savior. If you have any questions about what does that mean, help me understand this more. I know that the staff here at Challenge and the, and the student leaders would love nothing more than to meet with you and help you get your questions answered. So I want to encourage you, find them afterwards. In fact, if you don't know who the staff or leaders are, if you're a staff or leader, raise your hand real high. All right, look around the room if you're looking for somebody near you. These people with their hands up, they would love to answer any questions that you have. Guys, we were made in the image of God. And as we stand in his shadow, we can find the security and the significance that we so long for. Would you join me in prayer? I want to invite Paul to come up. Father, I, just, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. You love us so much more than we will ever understand on this side of eternity. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you that we can be a part of a new family, that we can have a role to play. Thank you that we can find our identity in you and we can find significance in you, not the things that are temporary of this world. I thank you and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.